I'm sorry y'all didn't convince me that you were delighted to do that. So um, I love these, these memory verses we're doing every month, and, and I hope you're taking part in those, getting a little bit of that into your lives as well. Well, this is an important weekend, and it's an important weekend for every American because it's Memorial Day weekend. Now, some of you are going, yeah, 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 it's a holiday, I get the day off work tomorrow, I'm good, school's out, summer's here, we're going to cook out, we're going to celebrate, we're going to open the pool, whatever. Guys, it's so much more than that. This, this holiday is about the men and women who sacrificed their lives so that you could be in places like this today, so that you could worship today, so that you could live freely today, so that you could go see the new Top Gun movie this weekend. I mean, that, it, it, they, they sacrificed their lives so that we have freedoms. And we don't think about that a whole lot. And we tend to push this holiday down as just a, the, the beginning of summer type holiday. But please don't miss the importance of it. Don't miss how, how, how it has really changed our lives because of their sacrifices. Will you all pray with me, please? Father God, I, I pray for this country right now, and, and I thank you for how blessed we are. Blessed from the, the, the people that were willing to sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice of their lives so that we can live free. Thank you for them, God. Thank you for their families. Thank you for the pain and heartache that they've gone through, uh, losing the people that they love so that we can be free. I, I just am blown away by that. But let us not forget how important this is. Jesus' name, amen. Well, in all of our lives, we're faced with tough questions. We, we just are. Like ice cream, chocolate or vanilla? How many chocolate people? How many vanilla people? How many graters, you know, the purple chip kind of stuff there? Yeah, some of you, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about this, Skyline or Gold Star, I've asked in the past. How many Skyline people? How many Gold Star people? Hey, hey, listen, Gold Star people, the door is there. All right, you can go now. We're good. All right, here's a big one. Bengals or Steelers? Do I have any Steeler fans in here with me? Nice. Thank you. Hey, don't boo us. We've done nothing to you last season. We didn't even play very well. So, <laughs> all right, here's another question. Do you help or do you walk away? Help. Tough question, isn't it? It really is. I was reading on the Fairfield Township Facebook page this week after the shooting at Walmart and the death that took place there and and the, the, the guy was making a, a valid point about minding our own business, and then no one would have gotten hurt. He says this, I'm not trying to be rude, but this is why when someone steals, you let them. Your life is not worth whatever $5 item they're stealing, especially from such a big corporation like Walmart. In the end, this all could have been prevented. He goes on to say this, in the end, what this perpetrator does is none of anyone's business but his and the stores. We need to stop with this wannabe sheriff attitude and mind our own business. Now, I respect his right to say those things. 
I much prefer the attitude that a guy named Bill Bernard, and I know a Bill Bernard, not sure if it's the same guy, said on that comment. Not inferring or not interfering is the safe and smart thing to do. However, I am proud that there are people in our community who in their heart believe in taking action when they see something wrong. That reaction reflects their character. God bless them. Now, I, I agree with the second guy so much, and I, I, I really live that, and I try to live that out in my life. And, and as a matter of fact, because I am at Walmart so much, my phone was blowing up asking if I was okay. Are you all right? Were you, are, are, were you there? Did, did you get hurt? I'm, I'm like, I'm at home. It's my wife's birthday. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at home with her, you know, kind of thing, because I'm the type of person that would have stepped in. I'm the type of person that would have done something and taken action if, if I could have. And I see that the positive thing for me that came out of this, all three of my boys checked on me when this happened because they know me pretty well. You okay? Anything happened to you? Are, are everybody all right? Kind of deal. And so that, that was a cool thing that happened for, for me. But, but, but when you see what happens in our community and you see what happens in our country and you see what happens in our culture, we seem to have lost the ability to say, that's not okay. I'm going to step up. I'm going to step in. I'm going to make a difference. Now, you've got to do that carefully. And I'm not suggesting anybody step in when there's guns involved. But we need to do something to change our culture. Not just to step out of the way and say, oh, I see you laying there alongside the road. I'm not going to help you. I'm going to keep walking on by, which is another story in the Bible about the Good Samaritan. I mean, everybody else looks at him and walks on by. One guy that was not like him, did not look like him, did not believe like him, stopped, picked him up, put him on his donkey, and paid for his health care until he was well enough to leave. Friends, Jesus came into this world to change things. To change things for us mentally and emotionally and physically and spiritually. He wants us to get out of our comfort zone and get into the business of changing lives. That's why we're studying Jesus. That, that's why who Jesus is and how he lived his life is so important for how we live our lives. Jesus based his life on what it says in the Bible. He lived out the scriptures Nice. I like that music in the background. He lived out the scriptures. <laughs> Online campus, if you couldn't hear that, it was a kind of cool little kid song going on. And it's still going on. I, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus lived out the scriptures and he taught the scriptures. And because Jesus believed in the Bible, we need to believe in it as well. That's our foundation point. That's what tells us how to act and react. The Bible is a library of how many different books? 66. How many Old Testament? 39. How many New Testament? 27. Come on, guys. Get your math right. All right. 27 New Testament. 40 different authors written on three different continents in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. But it has this amazing unity to it. There's no discrepancies in there. And, and you've got to ask yourself the question, can we still use a book that's thousands of years old to mean anything to us today? 
And the answer is yes. Every scenario that you're dealing with in your life right now, every scenario that our culture is dealing with is addressed in there. And it's a couple thousand years old. If you don't believe in God, believe because of that. That's, that's a miracle. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. And I know I have people tell me all the time, I believe in Jesus, but I just can't believe in the Bible. Then again, you don't believe in Jesus. Because Jesus was teaching directly from the Scripture. Jesus was living directly from the Scripture. Jesus' life is based on the Scripture. I mean, when Jesus teaches, he's quoting the Old Testament. And he's living the New Testament. They're all based on the Bible. He's either directly quoting an Old Testament, or he's referring to an Old Testament Scripture, or he's summarizing in Old Testament Scripture. That's how he teaches. And today I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Bibles, version apps, anything you've got. It'll be on the screens as well. But if you've got something, open that up. This is all about Jesus answering the tough questions. Because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are, are trying to kind of put him down. And, and they, they keep coming at him with these tough questions. And Jesus never stops answering them. He's pretty good with this, and he uses Scripture to do it. So, Mark eleven twenty seven says this. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him and asked him this question. What authority are you teaching by? Who, give you the, who gave you the authority to be here and say these things? We didn't do it, so where did you get that from? And Jesus throws this story at them, which I think is pretty cool. Pretty cool. So again, Mark 12. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories. I love that because this last week I heard these two preachers arguing with each other. One of them was saying, you're not teaching biblical truth because you're not going verse by verse through the Bible. It's not acceptable what you're doing. I guess maybe that first preacher missed this part where it says Jesus is teaching by stories because that's how Jesus always taught. He's bringing the scripture, but he's using stories to to apply it. He says this, a man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent out one of his servants to collect his share of the crop, but the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him, beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left. Now, I want to make sure you get who these characters are. God's the owner, all right? You have landowners, which are us, and you have prophets, uh, teaching, teachers coming through God's kingdom, teaching people about the kingdom of God and who God is and what God wants from them, and they're beating them up and casting them out and killing them. And then it says this, until there was only one left, his son, this is Jesus, whom he loved dearly, the owner finally sent him, thinking, surely they'll respect my son. 
But the tenant farmers said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him. Get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, murdered him, and threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asked? I tell you, he will come and kill these farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing. I mean, he's saying, listen, you can come and do whatever you want to to me, but I am the cornerstone of your faith. I'm the cornerstone of how you live your life. I'm the cornerstone for the future of your people. And if you choose to kill me, I understand that's on you. But this is who I am. That's where my authority comes from. It comes from being the foundation for your faith. He's quoting the Old Testament here from Psalm 118 that says this, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. Jesus is answering their questions of his authority by Scripture from the Old Testament, by claiming that he's the cornerstone. And again, they're the ones that are going to kill them, but he's the foundation. Mark 12, 12, the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were wicked, they were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. The Pharisees liked things to happen in a certain way. They had their routines, their beliefs, their patterns, and they didn't want anybody messing with those because they thought those were forgot were from God. And they didn't like Jesus coming against them, challenging them on anything. Because going, we know what's right, you don't have a clue. Mark 12, verse 13. Later the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Interesting, isn't it? They're always trying to trap him. They always want to arrest him. They always want to get rid of him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are, how impartial you are, and you don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. What does that sound like to you? These are the people that never had anything nice to say to Jesus. And they're coming at him with these buttering up type things, right? Oh, you're so good. You're so good. You are such a great teacher. Trying to get his guard down, his defense down. You are so honest. You're kind. You're trustworthy. Always walk away from someone that says that to you at the beginning. Because they're trying to get something from you. Trying to trap you into something. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? And Jesus, he sees right through the hypocrisy. And he said, why are you trying to trap me? What, what, what are you doing? I know you don't like me. You're buttering me up. What do you want? You know, and he's, again, he's answering their tough questions. He says, show me a Roman coin. I love this object lesson. So they give him a coin. Whose picture's on it? Who's on the coin? Whose stamp is on it? Caesar's. Jesus said, well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Pay your taxes and give to God what belongs to God. Pay your tithes. It's not a question of either or. 
It's a question of you do what's right in the laws of your land. You pay your taxes because that's what Caesar wants. And Caesar's face is stamped on these. But don't forget to pay God as well. Don't forget your tithes. Do what God tells you to do. But also you have to conform to the community and do what the governor, the Caesar, the leader is telling you to do. Give to God what belongs to God. And his reply completely amazed them. They're there trying to arrest Jesus. And he keeps spinning them in circles. Right? I love how he does. He's just quoting scripture. That's what he's doing. He's just going back to godly principles. Mark 12, 28. One of the lead teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. And he realized that Jesus had answered well. Now that doesn't happen very often. You never see one of the religious leaders going... That's a good point, Jesus. I really like that. I had never thought of things that well. Of all the commandments, he says, which one's most important? Trying to trap him again. Which is the most important commandment? Let me ask you, what's the most important commandment? You want me to put you on the spot? You're going, I don't know any commandments. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, if, if you're online watching, ask your spouse. Uh, you know, what's, what's the most important? Think commandments. Think, how about ten commandments? All right, so you, you, we've narrowed it down to ten. All right, these are God's top ten. Love the Lord your God. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Don't kill. Wh- which is the most important? Obey your parents. Obey your parents. That's only said by a mother of a teenager. That's the only one that's going to say something like that. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. We're going to get to that one here in just a second. You, you know what? I don't know what the most important commandment for me, if I'm going to say that, if I were just thinking on my own. But he's throwing this out there. And Jesus replied in Mark 12, 29. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandments are greater than these. In other words, love God and love people. It's one of our core values here. Love God and love people. But do you know where Jesus got those core values from? From the Old Testament. He is directly quoting an Old Testament scripture. And it's Deuteronomy 6.4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That scripture is called the Shema. Now, every Jewish person would know what that is. Right? Every Israelite, you're, you're looking at, at, at those people, would know what the Shema is. It's a daily prayer. And that prayer has been prayed and practiced for centuries to remind the Israelites exactly what's important that God is your God. Now, they struggled with that. They kept wandering away from him. But God is their God. They would pray that day after day after day. You have to love him with everything that you are. 
Matter of fact, the religious leaders that are questioning Jesus would have prayed that very prayer that morning before they're having this conversation with Jesus. They knew how important it was. Take a look at each of these words, heart, soul, mind, strength. I think the collective of those is so much more important than the individual words there. Because it's saying you have to love God with every part of your being. Everything that you are. Every thought, every emotion, every feeling, every word. It's all about honoring and loving Him. Because that's how we have to live. We have to love God with everything we are. All of our heart. All of our soul. All of our mind. All of our strength. Now, in the second part of, of, of this scripture, Jesus' answer is, again, he's quoting another Old Testament scripture when he's talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. It's Leviticus 19.18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord your God. Who's your neighbor? Who is it? Is it Dave that lives in front of me? Well, he moved out yesterday, so I guess he's not my neighbor anymore. Is it Gary that lives beside me? Who's your neighbor? Can you name them specifically? Or do you need to do that? So many different ways people try to describe who their neighbors are. Everyone's a pretty good definition of that, right? But over the past hundred years, guess what? We as... Anglo people, which is what my skin tone is, tend to think only Anglo people are our neighbors. It's kind of what we think. Black people kind of think only black people are their neighbors because we tend to live in communities and we relate to each other. Middle Eastern people think that only Middle Eastern people are their neighbors. It's an issue, it's a problem, it's a challenge. People who drive Jeep Wranglers, we have decided that only other people that drive Jeep Wranglers are our neighbors. I don't wave to you if you're driving a Toyota pickup truck. <laughs> I only wave to Jeep Wrangler people. And it's a very cool wave, by the way. And my wife tries to go, I'm going, no, don't do that. It's not cool to do that. Just the two-finger thing. That's all you do. So I wave to Jeep Wrangler people. I don't care if you drive a Ford. I don't care if you drive a Toyota. You don't exist to me when I'm on the road. <laughs> Only my buddies and Jeep Wranglers and, and their dogs in their Jeep Wranglers are my, are my neighbors. Baptists, Catholics, Presbyterians, Pentecostals decided that only those people that worship like they do are their neighbors. And they don't have to care about anybody else. And you see the divisions all through this country because of those attitudes and those thoughts. As a matter of fact, a rabbi from Jesus' day said this, If a Jew sees a Gentile fall into the sea, let him by no means lift him out. This is not your neighbor. And isn't that still our same problem? Isn't that why we pass by people that are falling down, people that are hurting, people that are trying to do something evil against someone else? Isn't that why we pass them by? Because we're not going to lift a finger to help anyone that we don't consider as our neighbor. And it's wrong. It's a challenge for us. 
Matthew 5, 43 says this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And these people that are listening to him are going, Jesus, you don't get it. My enemies are my enemies for a reason. They did something to me. They've hurt me deeply. So how exactly do you expect me to love somebody that's hurt me? I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Think just for a minute in your minds. Who's your enemy? Okay, now if you want to get spiritual on me, okay, thank you. Satan is our enemy. We're not going there. I'm not going to ask you to love Satan. That's not how this works. Let's talk physically in this present world. Who's your enemy? Is there a face that comes up to you? Ex-husband. Excellent. You don't have to tell us. Thank you. I'd say that probably falls into the right category for some of us, right? You know, who's your enemy? There's somebody's face that pops up to me as soon as I say that. I, I mean, they, their face is just there. And, and, and you think about that, and, and you're going, because they came into my mind like this when I thought of that question, it means I need this message more than anybody else needs this message. Because I still deal with the hatred and, and not liking certain people. And, and, and I know that's not very pastorly, but that's, that's where I am. Now, when it comes to enemies, you have three categories. You have an enemy because they've done something to you. They cheated you. They cheated on you. They stole from you. They, they, they did something that put you in a bad situation. Another category is someone that did something to someone that you love. They cheated them, they stole from them, they abused them, they've done something to them. And the third category is someone who has something against you, but you don't really know why, but because they have something against you, they are now your enemy. I can think of several people that I don't have anything against. I know there are some I do, but several that I don't have anything against that absolutely don't like me. And that list just keeps growing. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Matter of fact, they wouldn't mind if I got fired and ended up in the middle of winter in Minnesota somewhere. You know, that, that would be fine. Living on the streets, that'd be fine with them. Now, how about this? Is there anyone in your life that if you walked into Kroger and you saw them at a distance that you would either walk the other direction or just in case you might run into them, you'd leave your shopping cart exactly where it is and walk out of the store. Do you have somebody like that in your life just to avoid them? Jesus didn't say love your enemies if you have any. He said love your enemies. Why? Because we all have them. Every single one of us. We have someone we don't like or someone that doesn't like us. And Jesus doesn't just leave it at love your enemies. He puts out a challenge. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those people who don't like you. Can you do that? I mean, sincerely? No, 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 no. Not the pray they get in a car wreck kind of prayer. All right? I'm talking about praying for blessings for their life praying for good things to come to them, praying for health for their families, praying for success 
in their work environments. Love your enemies and pray for the people that don't like you. Romans 12, 17 says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You're going, yeah, I got that part. I'll heap burning coals on their head. I kind of like that. You understand that that's talking about repentance, not revenge. It's talking about you changing. If, if maybe, maybe if, if they feel guilty about something, they'd put a pan of, of burning coals on their head as a symbol of how sorry they were. So Paul's saying, if you can figure out how to do this, then you're going to put your enemy in a position where maybe they understand that what they've done has hurt you. They see that you're sorry that you're hurting. But what happens when someone has done something wrong to you? Do you want to forgive them? Or do you want to do something wrong back to them? You want to pay somebody back, don't you? Payback's important for most of us. What happens when you pay somebody back? They're then going to pay you back. And it becomes this lifelong battle of hatred and animosity. And things happen like violence and death because of that. Jesus says, listen, if you take care of them and feed them and give them something to drink and love them, what you're doing is you're throwing those people off balance and they're going to go, I don't get why you're doing this for me. And you have an opportunity to show them how Jesus loves. Now that person might be a nasty, no good, dirty, rotten, fill in the blank, whatever you want to say. It doesn't matter. You need to love them because God tells you to love them. Romans 21 is the key to this. Do not, be, do, not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Are you going to overcome evil or are you going to be overcome by it? It's your choice, right? That's the question. Have you ever seen anybody walking around with hatred in their lives that's happy? Anybody? No, you know why? Hatred consumes us. Consumes our conversations. It consumes our actions. It makes us grumpy, grouchy, nasty people. And nobody wants to be around somebody that's like that. It's impossible for a human being to hate someone and be joyful. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. Martin Luther King said, Love is the only way to make an enemy into a friend. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He takes care of all of us the same. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the worst sinners in the world, the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies. 
Pray for those who persecute you. Love God and love people, all people. Not just the people you like. Everyone. Let me step on your toes a little bit right here. Are you ready? If I haven't done it already, let me do it right here. Which neighbor are you having a hard time loving right now? Maybe it's somebody in this category. Maybe it's somebody that looks differently than you. Maybe they're white, maybe they're black, maybe they're Asian, maybe they're Hispanic, maybe they're Indian, maybe they're Middle Eastern. You take all the politics out of this stuff, guys. And you know what you get on the inside of all of us? We're the same. Your skin tone means nothing as to who you are as a person and who you are in God's eyes. We're the same. I don't understand how people living in 2022 can say, you know what, I don't like you because you look like this. How can you even think that? How can you even have that as part of your life? Know people before you make any type of a determination as to who they are, how they live, what they believe, what they think. Because somebody's skin tone doesn't do that. It's only about the individual. If somebody has a different political view than you do, can you love them? Is that the neighbor that you struggle with? I find it funny, but it happens all the time. In one week, actually in two days, I had somebody call me and chew me out because they were Republican and they thought I was a Democrat. (laughs) Two days later, somebody else calls me and chews me out because they're Democrat and they thought I was a Republican. If you haven't figured it out yet, politics don't mean anything to me. What means something to me is the fact that I'm going to follow Jesus because Jesus is the only one that determines my eternal future and Jesus is the only one that can change me and that can change you. And whatever happens in the political world is going to change in four years. If you don't like where something is going right now, wait four years, vote somebody else in. And you're not going to like them after four years either because we're not true to what we say we believe. We only do what we have to do to get what we want, and that's what happens to most politicians. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's the one that I'm banking on. And no matter what happens politically in this country, Jesus is still in control. And that's where I put my faith. I don't believe the differences matter. I understand them. I just don't believe they matter enough. Maybe the neighbor that you're having a hard time loving is someone that's living a different lifestyle than what we agree with. Pastor Tim Harlow says this. He says, when the song, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It, came out, however many years ago that was, he said the song is talking about a homosexual experience, and this pastor put a sign out that said, I kissed a girl, I liked it, Then I went to hell. Now, let me say this very plainly. There is no question what the Bible says when it talks about homosexuality. No question. Black and white, there's no way to get around it. There's no way to skirt around it, to try to change it because you don't like it. It says it's not an acceptable lifestyle to live. 
But how do we deal with someone that's trying to figure out their lives? How do we deal with somebody that's trying to figure out what's okay and what's not okay? Trying to figure out how do I live with my, my feelings that are different maybe than everybody else's feelings? If your reaction to someone is to put out a sign that says, you're going to hell, guess what? You're the one in the wrong. Because it's not for you to judge what happens to them. That's all in God's hands. You know what you're commanded to do? Is to love those people that are different than us. To show God's love and grace and forgiveness. Because if you choose to judge anybody, you're saying, I'm better than you are, and I don't have anything in my life that needs judged, and you do. Because Scripture says, you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And I could be judged for multiple things in my life. Now, I can say this is what I believe, but I'm going to say it in a way like Jesus talked to people and how Jesus said things to people. Listen, I, I understand where you are. I love you. I don't want you to hurt. I don't want you to be beaten up. I love you. And you can only love someone into the kingdom of God. You can never beat somebody into the kingdom of God. And you can never condemn somebody into the kingdom of God. So how are you doing loving the people around you? No matter the color of their skin, no matter their political views, no matter their social views, no, no matter how their lifestyle is, how are you doing loving the people around you? Because our command is to love our Lord, the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Those are the two greatest commandments. Will you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving everyone in this room and everyone that's watching uh, on, on the online campus. God, thank you for giving us grace and mercy and freedom and forgiveness. And God, I don't want anybody doing anything outside of your will, but God, it's not my job to judge them. My job is to love them. Everyone that might be doing something that I don't agree with. And God, my job is to love everyone because every one of us are doing something that you don't agree with. Thank you for the forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.